The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. The holiday period of 2019-2020 has been defined by bushfires. In this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we'll step you through Australia's bushfire history and put into context the scale and extent of what we've seen. We'll also get you across the conditions that have caused this event, what we can learn from it, as well as the response. Squeeze Shortcuts is your shortcut to more than the headlines. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. In order to put into context what has been experienced, it's worth looking back on Australia's bushfire history, Claire. Of course, our country has been experiencing bushfires since the beginning of time. If we look at the last century, though, there are a few notable bushfire events that stick out. Let's start with what has become known as Black Friday. Those were fires that burnt in Victoria in 1939. And it was called Black Friday, not just because these fires occurred on Friday the 13th uh, Mm. of January back in 19. 1939, but also because of the scale of the devastation that was wreaked across Victoria. Following a heat wave and very dry conditions, fires flared across the state, killing 71 people, wiped out towns, 1,300 homes, and burned through 20,000 square kilometres, which is 2 million hectares, mainly agricultural land and forests. You bring me to a good point, actually. We need to clarify before we move on hectares and and square kilometres. Quite <laughs> often you'll hear people talk about bushfire areas in hectares. To clarify, a hectare is 10,000 square metres or just think that 100 hectares fit into a square kilometre. Hope that helps. <laughs> Moving to the summer of 1982-83, where 486,000 hectares or 4,860 square kilometres of parks and forests across Victoria and South Australia were burned. And it was on the 16th of February 1983 that Australia saw one of its worst ever fire events. These fires took place on the Christian day of Ash Wednesday that Mm. year, fuelled by drought and very hot conditions. Within 12 hours, more than 180 fires took off in Victoria and South Australia. 75 people were killed, 3,700 buildings were destroyed, more than 200,000 hectares were burned in both of those states each. Ash Wednesday, of course, the start of Lent. And as many listening will recall, in 2009, we had the Black Saturday bushfires. Yeah, I certainly can remember where Mm. I was when that went down. These were the most deadly fires in our history. Again, the focus is in Victoria, where terrible conditions saw 400 fires in the King Lake, Whittlesea area, and then in the northeast of the state. 173 people lost their lives in those fires. More than 2,000 homes were destroyed and 450,000 hectares of land were burned. So those three have been the most deadly as far as human lives lost, Claire, but there are also a couple to note as far as the sheer scale of land burnt. Yeah, so Australia is no stranger to very big fires. In 1851, approximately 5 million hectares burned in Victoria. We're talking about areas like Portland, in the Wimmera and in the Dandenong districts. And then when you look at 1974... Victoria is really taken a hit, hasn't yeah, it? Bush yeah, fires. it has been a big focus moving though into New South Wales in 74, 75. Mm. New South Wales saw a number of fires over that summer. We're talking about mainly in the Cobar Shire and the regions in the Lower Hunter. Reports from that time say about 15% of Australia's total land mass was under extensive fire damage. That equates to around 117 million hectares that were burned. Only three people lost their lives 
fires in those fires, which speaks to the sparse population in those areas at that time. Yeah. Let's look now at how this compares to the summer of 2019-2020 so far. So far, Claire, the bushfires of 2019-2020 have burnt through 5 million hectares or 50,000 square kilometres, just to refer to it, in that metric in New South Wales alone. Yeah, and more than 6 million hectares have burned nationally so far. As you say, most of that is in New South Wales, but Queensland, Victoria, Tasmania, Western Australia and South Australia have all had fires this season. At the time of recording this, we're only halfway through the season also, of course. To get a bit scientific for a second, broadly, what are the factors that create an environment for bushfires like this to occur? We're talking dry, hot, windy conditions. That's the cocktail for fire disaster. And it's why so many of the big fires that we've seen in our country's history have happened during a drought because of the relative humidity being very low in those times. Mm. Australia being the country it is, we've also got a lot of vegetation. There's a lot of dry vegetation on the ground at the moment and it's ready to burn from an ignition point, whether that's caused naturally from things like lightning or from human activity like power lines going down in strong winds or arson and in the right circumstances that can be devastating. And so what is it about the conditions this season that have caused such disaster? So experts say that it's a combination of the extreme heat and prolonged drought and then strong winds on Mm. these days. There's also a lot of debate about why and how there's so much fuel on the ground. Issues like land management and hazard reduction burning, they're being talked about quite a bit at the moment. Those conditions aren't particularly different to previous fires, but on top of that, there's a sense that there's something extra about these fires. And in fact, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has said that the weather activity that we're seeing... Mm. The extent and the spread of the fires, the speed at which they're doing, the way that they attack communities that have never seen fire is unprecedented. And that's a quote from her from one of her press conferences when the fires were particularly bad. So in the interest of addressing the elephant in the room, lots of talk about fires and climate change. Yeah, and to what degree climate change has played a role in these fires above what we might normally see in a bad bushfire season, given we've had so many bad bushfire seasons in the past. As we've talked about in our shortcut about the drought, uh, there are acknowledged impacts about the warming of Australia's climate and what it's done to exacerbate an already bad situation, but it's not the whole story. And on that note, definitely encourage you to have a listen to our shortcut on drought and our shortcut on climate change which cover this extensively. No doubt our changing climate has an impact, as you say, but I guess then where the real arguments are is not about the changing climate but how we manage this change. Tough question, Claire, but what are some of the arguments people may hear talked about in the news to ensure this doesn't happen again? Yeah, and given our history, if there's even a way to ensure that this doesn't happen again, which is why so much of the discussion around this has been about hazard reduction to get the fuel off the ground, better equipped equipping our firefighters and resourcing the effort with more things like water bombers being available and the like. And what needs to be done then into the future about adapting to the reality of more dangerous fire seasons and doing things like managing where people are allowed to live. And of course, those discussions will continue to play out in the media and we'll keep you across them in the Squeeze Today podcast. Let's turn now to the impact fires like this have on towns and communities. 
When we talk about bushfires, often the news reporting, and understandably so, focuses heavily on the human loss and the property loss, but there are plenty of longer-term economic implications for communities, Claire. Yeah, there's a cost to government, of course. Then there's the farming, agribusiness, forestry, wine growing, all sorts of local industries that rely on having a productive land, requires them to earn their income, and then all of the local businesses that rely on those enterprises like transport and retail. Tourism in those areas will suffer, not just when those fires arrive, but then in the months and potentially years after devastating fires. So those impacts are quite big and quite longer term. And how about wildlife, plant life? Figures from the World Wildlife Fund estimated that over 480 million animals have been killed in the New South Wales bushfires since September. And coming in for particular attention, of course, has been the koala Mm. population, not just in the south of New South Wales, but also in in the north with those fires that burned in November and leading up to the end of 2019. Also on Kangaroo Island, there's a koala population there that was the only chlamydia-free koala population in our country and there's real concerns that they've been devastated. So again, very big impacts on our wildlife. And then of course the mental toll. Yeah, I mean it takes a lot to put this sort of thing behind you and then decide to rebuild your home and your business and your life. There's been interesting stories about Batlow in New South Wales, which of course grows a lot of Australia's apples. Very famous for their apples. Very famous for that. And a lot of those orchards have been wiped out. So that's a five, 10 year proposition just to put trees back in the ground and then start earning an income again. So quite devastating. We'll put a link in episode notes on uh, a little story about Batlow, just so people can have a look at that if they want to get across it. So with all this, there is then the question of how we respond, rebuild and what can be done. Let's look at the government response so far and some ways the public can help. Immediately, Claire, it's the state and territory governments and the firefighting organisations that are responsible for preventing and then fighting the bushfires. Yeah, and those state organisations that operate under those state governments are able to enact things like uh, states of disaster or states of emergency where they're able to close and open roads at will, forcibly evacuate members of the public. It also gives those fire commissioners the rights to exercise powers to direct government agencies to do and not do their work. Those things are very unusual and only rarely used in these times of disaster. Both of those being enacted in New South Wales and Victoria. So we're talking there about the RFS in New South Wales and the CFA in Victoria. In this instance, though, given the scale of this disaster, the federal government has also stepped in. So in the fighting fire phase, we're really looking to the federal government to do things like bring the defence force into action to help where they can, whether that's with firefighting equipment, whether it's with boots on the ground, but also what Scott Morrison has announced is that he will make the reserve force available to be called up and up to 3,000 reservists will be used, not just in firefighting efforts, but also in the recovery effort. That's the immediate response, as you say. What about longer term? Then we're looking at things around putting funds together so that the government can direct through its agencies, depending on what it's responsible for, to meet the immediate need of people who are just, you know, thrown out of their homes because they either need to go to evacuation or longer term because their homes have been lost. So there's long-term things there. How much money that takes really depends on the scale and then the time that it takes to recover. So again, long-term things that governments need to plan for 
more and then implement as they go. At the time of recording, the government had committed $2 billion. On top of everything that they've done already. So that fund will do things like income support, but also then helping people on the ground to rebuild. And individually, of course, the public can also help by making donations. Links to how to best do that in your episode notes. But also longer term, there'll be ways the public can assist. Things like visiting these towns, booking holidays, volunteering your time and expertise to help businesses get back off the ground, offering accommodation, the list goes on and on. And of course, in the immediate term, they're saying they don't need a lot of stuff like clothes, they need cash. They need so cash. that's the focus in the immediate effort. And that's your shortcut to bushfires in Australia. To our recommendations, Claire, what have you got? I have an ABC doco that they put together after the 10-year anniversary of those Black Saturday fires in Victoria. Mm. It really does give you a sense of when a region is devastated like that, 10 years down the track, what it takes to move on. And if you can indulge me for a moment, as Claire well knows, I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales in a little town called Bermagui, which has been in the news more than usual lately. My parents still live there and my recommendation is for everyone in the coming months to consider booking a holiday to the affected places, a weekend away with family, with mates. Not only will you have an awesome time, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, but you'll be helping get these towns and communities back on their feet. That's all from us. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts. We have plenty of requests we're working through. Search for Squeeze Shortcuts in your podcast app as there's plenty more where this came from. As we said, specifically the one on drought and climate change are worth a listen in this context. We've also got one on the US-Iran relationship, Julian Assange, Brexit, one on Ash Barty. It is tennis Tennis, season. yeah. Yeah, tennis season after all. And many more. Squeeze Shortcuts is all about giving you the context to the big news stories. Until next time. 